Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. This morning, I'm going to give you an impartation. I'm simply going to speak to you from my heart. It's a very simple message. And by the way, the message I want to preach, which is a good one, I'm going to preach at the second service. So if you want to hear a good sermon, you'll have to stick around. Amen. I don't know where you'll be, but uh, I'm going to preach two different messages. I thought this would be fitting. It's really more of a devotional. It's something I preach usually to pastors. But we're all ministers anyway, aren't we? Amen. And I believe it will help you. I want to speak to you on the subject of the honor of wanting to quit. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit shall come down and consume me as I bring this message. I pray, God, that you'll speak to the hearts of every individual. Open their heart. Give me the favor of the people for just a minute that I can point them to the one that deserves all honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you women have ever wanted to take the dishes and just throw them against the wall? I mean, grab the drapes and yank them down. Pour sand down the sink. Drown the husband in the bathtub. Amen. Take the old remote control and throw it out the door and never make a bed as long as you live. And all the women said, amen. Let me talk to the men. Meanwhile, driving to work, how many have ever felt like saying, I think I'll just keep on driving? And on the way, I'm going to stop by and just spit in the boss's face. <laughs> Leave a note with my wife that says, find another one. Trade your wife for a good old-fashioned bird dog and hunt and fish and play golf the rest of your life. Never work again, never shave again. And all the men said, see, they're chicken. They're afraid to say amen. We've got a lot of pastors here. Let me talk to pastors. Pastors, have you ever wanted to shoot the sound man? Our trip to musical director, when he comes across the platform, turn up the air conditioning as high as you can get it and just let the grandmas cry. Just get up one day and say, you can have the whole thing. Never have to raise a budget again. You know, when I want to quit, you and I want to be a cab driver. Just drive around town all day, never responsibility. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If you've ever wanted to quit, you're in good company. The list of those who wanted to quit reads like the Hall of Heroes or the Hall of Fame. Jeremiah wanted to quit. Matter of fact, he did quit for a while. He got himself a little cabin on the side of a creek and just fished and had a good time but he made a mistake. One day he picked up the word of God and began to read it. And the Bible said there was a fire 
that burned within the heart of Jeremiah. You see the ministries that way. It's kind of like your wife. You can't get along with her or without her, amen. When you're in the ministry, you want to quit. When you're out of the ministry, you want to get back in. Abraham, the Bible said, who was a friend of God. Depression came, recession came, much like we live in today. And Abraham wanted to quit. Peter, who walked on water, people who saw the miracles of God, got discouraged when Jesus was crucified and even cursed God, denied the faith, denied the Lord, denied the church. Martin Luther, the founder of the great Lutheran church, Martin Luther crawled up the steps of St. Peter's Cathedral saying the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The diet of worms wanted to destroy him and threatened to kill him. And Martin Luther doubled up his fist and said, and I will punch you in the snout. That's my kind of preacher. Amen. But he wanted to quit. John the Baptist, who the Bible said there was no one greater except for Jesus, while he was in prison, ready to be headed, he sent a runner to be sure that Jesus was the Son of God. Charles Spurgeon was called the prince of all great preachers, never even graduated from high school. And yet Charles Spurgeon died at the age of 56, a depressed man who wanted to quit. Winston Churchill, in the midst of the war, when the Germans were bombing his country, the man who said, never turn back, never turn back during the war, writes in his biography that he had bouts of depression that made him want to quit, even take his life. Dr. Cho, one of the men who built the greatest church in the history of the world, he has 750,000 people in one church, greatest church in the history of the world. I've been on his board for years and he told me one day in the early part of his ministry, he climbed to the top of his great building that was many stories high. He was a depressed man. For one year, he never went home from church. Stayed there day and night fasting until when he stood to preach, blood ran down into his legs and his socks. He stood on the top of the building and Satan tempted him to jump off. He said, I wanted to quit. In fact, all the great men that I have known, and by the way, I've been privileged to know some of the greatest men that ever lived. They have testified in weak moments that they too have wanted to quit. Needless to say, I am not a great man, but I too have wanted to quit. And so have you. So is anybody that has done anything for God, they have wanted to quit. And so today, I want to make four statements about quitting that I believe that really will encourage you. Are you ready? You might want to write them down. Statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success because successful people are the only ones who can quit because they got something to quit. Many years ago, I landed in a city. I was picked up and 
We were driving to the place where I was to speak. We came across what looked like a great housing addition that had started. But perhaps for some reason they quit. Maybe they ran out of money. And there was nothing but just foundations. And that's all. But I looked very careful in the corner. You could see that a house had been built. But it burnt to the ground. And I decided that I would rather be the house that was built and burned than the house that was never built. You see, one of them at least had served its purpose for a little while. And I have more respect for the person that has risen and fallen than one that never rose in the first place. I'm not for rising and falling, but I'm certainly not for the people who just stay on the ground and never go forward. So wanting to quit is a sign of success. But number two, I even like better. You see, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. You see, the higher you go, the more frightening it becomes. And the more you want to quit. The higher you go, the lonelier it gets the more dangerous it gets, the riskier that it gets. The greater the church and the greater the ministry, the loner that pastor will be. I'll guarantee you that I want to quit more than anybody in this audience. You know why? Because I've been around longer and I have more to quit. For just a minute, I want every one of you to sympathize with this poor old preacher How many will sympathize? You don't look like you're very sympathetic, I'll tell you that. I have to preach at least three new sermons every week. Oversee the budget of Dream City Church, and in a sense, the Dream Center. It takes about $100,000 a day just to meet all these campuses, eight of them in Phoenix alone, and many from the Dream Center, and of course, some 250 Dream Centers across America. I'm chancellor of a major university, Southeastern University. We're constantly in building programs on several boards, TV programs, books, boards, speaking engagements. Why am I telling you that? You see, the more that you have, the more you want to quit. So, statement number one, wanting to quit is a sign of success. Number two, the more you have to quit, the more you want to quit. Now, number three is my favorite. I should keep it because it's so good. It personally belongs to me. How many think I ought to let you in on it here today? Okay, number three. You can enjoy the luxury of wanting to quit If you know you're not going to quit. You'll say, Pastor Barnett, how do you know you're not going to quit? Because I've never quit. 67 years preaching the gospel. How do you know a man's going to pay his bills? If he's paid his bills in the past. Now, consequently, if I know that I've never quit, therefore, It doesn't bother me if I want to quit. So sometimes I say to myself, I think I'll just quit without worrying 
because I know I'm not going to quit. Come on. Does that make sense? Now, I've wanted to quit. The first church I had in Davenport, Iowa, had 76 of the meanest Christians you've ever seen in your life. Just to get up and preach, I'd have to read that scripture. Be not dismayed by their faces. They have to have a little cute statement they made. We're not big, but we're spiritual. Now that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. Because if we will be what we ought to be, we'll do what we ought to do. And if we do what we ought to do, we'll witness and spread our gospel wherever we go. Pastor, is there anything wrong with the church being small? No, not for a week. But if that church is a New Testament church, you can't keep it small. Look at this church. Really one of the great churches now in Southern California, even in America. Some of you don't realize it. You've never been to any other kind of church. This is unbelievable. In a pandemic, this is not happening throughout the world. You are in miracle territory. Come on, give the Lord a good clap for that. When I was in Davenport, Iowa, my first church I just told you about, within a year, we had grown to over a thousand people. And eight years later, we became the fastest growing church in America. It was that moment that our church took a stand against the dirty bookstores and, and the massage parlors and the pornography industry in that city. Because of the stand that we took, it made national news. I began to get threats. They brought in the mafia to our area because they would deal with me and they did everything to scare me. They sent a letter. In the letter, they told what they would do to my wife when I was out of town someday. Terrible, ugly things. And of course, that did not happen. They said they would kidnap my children and so every day I would go to the pick up my children at the school. But still, nothing had happened. They told me that the last one, that I would be shot in the pulpit in the month of October. Now let me tell you, I've never lived so close to God as I did in the month of October. Amen. You would too if you was headed toward the promised land. Amen. You say, Pastor, how did you have? I wanted to quit. But I didn't quit because I wasn't a quitter. And then I remember the Wall Street Journal came out against our church because of a stand that we took. It was during the Baker Swaggart deal when two of America's largest ministries that were assemblies of God, they had failed. They said the church would not last. I remember one day I picked up the Wall Street Journal and on the front page, there was a story about our church. If it's in the left-hand column, it's never going to be good. You see, one man had come to visit our church, and he made fun of the fact that we ran buses, 40 of them, picking up little children. He made fun of the fact that the kids were wearing T-shirts about Jesus. People had license plates that were honoring God. I looked at that, and it was right in the middle of our big patches that we put on at Christmas time, where we have 80,000 people in 16 appointments has come to our pageant. 
Most of them are unsafe, unchurched people. And I had to go out there that night and face that crowd. And I went and I wanted to quit. Every Monday morning, I want to quit after preaching multiple sermons. And I say, God, just before I resign from my church, I'm going to have a cup of coffee. Starbucks have kept me in the ministry. Come on, say good amen. Until the anointing kicks in, we've got coffee. Come on, say good amen out there. A lot of drug addicts out there, yeah. Someone said, Pastor Barnett, when you ran from Phoenix to Los Angeles, two, uh, what is it, 436 miles, and you lost all your toenails, and you had phlebitis in your legs, and your feet swelled to be almost 12s from 9s, and every bone in your body was aching. Pastor, I know what kept you going. It was a love for those little kids in L.A. at the Dream Center. Now, can I be honest? At five o'clock in the morning when I got up to run with every bone of my body aching, I didn't care if every kid in L.A. went to the booger man. Amen. <laughs> but what kept me going? It was not the burden. It was the call. You see, a burden will come and go. But the call of God is what will keep you going. Yeah, I wanted to quit. Someone said, Pastor, do you ever feel like leaving your wife? Nope. I feel like killing her, but not leaving her. Amen. I'm a killer, not a quitter. <laughs> the point I want to make is that I have cut the word quit out of my dictionary. Literally. When I go to get a dictionary, I get to that word and I cut it out. Now, the question is, Pastor Barnett, how do you keep from quitting? I'm going to make this very quick. Number one, you got to burn the bridges behind you. When Matthew went to L.A., 20-year-old boy, never preached before, talked so fast he sounded like Porky Pig. Amen. People looked at Matthew and I, and we'd knock on doors with, with a black tie and white shirt, and black pants, and first thing they'd say, are you Mormon? Amen. We were an odd couple. I mean, I was an old guy, couldn't jump, amen, and we had Matthew there, just a kid who looked like a Mormon, trying to reach the city for the glory of the Lord. How do you keep from quitting, Pastor Barnett? Well, Matthew was single, and I said to Matthew, being a pastor of a church, it's not a good idea for you to go with the girls. Well, of course, the only girls that were there were in their 80s anyway. <laughs> because we had 25 people, literally, and almost all of them were over 80 years of age. But I said, look what, you can come to Phoenix. It's only an hour flight. And we have a lot of wonderful young ladies in the church. And you can come and build a relationship. But Maddie never came. And one day I said, so why don't you ever come home? And he said, Dad, the reason I don't come home is because if I come home, I want to stay at home. You see, he was in the middle of the inner city, 
fighting every kind of demon in the world. But he burnt the bridges behind him. Number two, how do you keep going, keep from quitting? Don't tell anybody you want to quit while you want to quit because they might take you up on it. You can tell them after the fact, but never tell them during the fact because even rats desert a sinking ship. Number three, don't expose yourself to what you don't want to be because you will be in the next 10 years the product of three things, who you hang out with, number two, the places that you travel, and number three, the books that you read. And number four, lock yourself in so that you cannot quit. Several years ago, we took a vacation, my wife and I, to Los Angeles. When we arrived, I picked up the paper to read that the Phoenix Suns were playing the Los Angeles Lakers in basketball. Now, if you don't know who the Phoenix Suns are, they're God's team, the, the sons, sons of God, amen. And if you do not know who the Lakers are, they are the team from down under. And I'm not talking about Australia either, amen. Now you have to realize in Phoenix, the Lakers have beat us up for years. And the Lakers is a four letter bad word in Phoenix. Matter of fact, this is how I feel about the Lakers. If they were playing the Taliban, I'd pull for the Taliban, amen. I know I'm in strange territory and I'm taking my life in my hands in Laker territory. But I'm gonna preach the truth whether you like it or not, amen. Abraham Lincoln said, well, by the way, uh, I said, we're gonna go see the Phoenix and Lakers play. My wife said, no, we're not. We're going shopping. No, 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 no. No, I said, honey, this is important. We're going to go to the basket. She said, no, we're going shopping. So I put my foot down and said, we're going to the basketball game. Now, you hear that? She said, we're going shopping. What did we do? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said that he wanted to paint his house green. And his wife wanted to paint it white. And they compromised and painted it white. Amen. We went, yes, that's right. I said, my mind is made up. But she said her mind was fixed. And my mind is fixed. I'm not going to turn back. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand strong. And even as David said, his mind is fixed, mine is too. Lock yourself in. I'm going to share something with you that you can only share when you're my age. T.D. Jakes, when I preached this sermon at his conference, he said, I tried to preach this when I was a young man, but you have to be older to preach this message. And there's some illustrations you can tell now I could not tell early, and this is very personal. But several years ago, we had an anniversary at our church. I think it was the 25th year. Church wanted to do something nice for us. They heard me say 
that before I go to heaven, I'd like to take the Concorde jet to Europe. Well, they surprised me. I got my wife and I a ticket to England on the Concorde jet. <laughs> By the way, they, they only bought us a one-way ticket. That concerned me a little bit, all right, but... Uh, we had a wonderful time. When we returned, I flew over to L.A. to the Dream Center, which I love so very much and used to go every week. And Matthew and I would work together, and now it's strong and vital, and God's using Matthew. I don't need to go every week. Well, they wanted to do something nice. So they picked me up at the airport, and when I got off the plane, they took me out to a big, long black limousine and said, get inside. We got inside, and I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. We were around the corner, and there was a hangar, and there said a helicopter. They walked me out to the helicopter and said, get in. I said, where are we going? They said, don't ask any questions. The helicopter took off with my wife and I, and across the metropolis of L.A., and soon it was going out into the blue Pacific. And I thought to myself, they're going to bury me out here, and then I saw a little island, and they circled and landed at the beautiful Catalina Island. There was a smaller limousine that picked us up. They drove us all over the area, and it was beautiful. They took us to a little restaurant, and we had a nice little lunch. They put us back on the helicopter, and back across the Pacific we went. When we hit the coastline, it banked and went up Santa Monica and over Beverly Hills. As we flew over Beverly Hills, the lady flying the helicopter said, right down there is where Liberace's mansion is. Wow. We flew a little further. She said, there's Spielberg, the movie maker. There's where he lives. Wow. We went a little further, and she said, there's the Playboy mansion. Of course, I went like this. <laughs> and then we banked, and we flew in front of the Hollywood sign and just hovered there. A while. And then the plane banked again and flew down between the buildings of LA and landed on the building right next to the Dream Center. We got out and went down and there was that big limousine. They took us to our little apartment that we keep because we are over here so often. And as we landed in that they said to me, we'll be picking you up tonight at 6.45 for the rally. So my wife came down, and there was that big, long limousine. Now, look, folks, I don't like the limousine. To be honest with you, I'm embarrassed to ride in limousine. But my wife, she feels like she was made for the limousine. Amen. <laughs> we got in the limousine. We headed to church that night. We parked on Sunset Boulevard, and when we got out, I said, why are you parking a block, two blocks away? They said, well, the crowd is so big, that's why. But I really found out when I got out of the limousine, for there was a red carpet all the way from Sunset Boulevard to the Dream Center. And there were people on each side of the carpet, a line, block to block and a half, of people from the Dream Center. First of all, there were the big old disciple 
midshipmen whose arms were as big as my thighs. I went to visit them every week and I go down and they'd cheer when you walk through their line. About 150 of them. And I'd tell them I love them. I hit them on the arm. If they'd hit back, I'd say, don't touch the anointed. Amen. Thank God. They were crying. They had signs. Thank you, Pastor. We love you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. I walked a little further. And there were the discipleship women. Many of them came to the Dream Center with their teeth knocked out by evil men who misused them or drugs had eaten their teeth away. And when they smiled, they covered their mouth. But we loved them. And we gave them pearly whites. And now, those same women that would withdraw, they lined up when I visited the Dream Center. They just wanted a hug from the old preacher. As I walked through them, they were weeping and crying. Pastor, we love you. We love you. And then there was a team discipleship group. Kids that were kicked out of school because the kind of kids that would burn the school. They were there. When they came in, they were hostile. And now, they're loving little children. We walked through hundreds of them. They were weeping and crying. And at last, we walked into the Dream Center and the building was literally jam-packed. If you've ever been there, that's two great balconies. And they had signs. Thank you. We love you. And I looked over at my wife. And she was a mess. Mascara was pouring down her face. She looked like the grapes of wrath. I mean, it was terrible. And as I looked at my wife, my mind went back. Many, many years when I was preaching in Palo Alto, California, a revival meeting when in the back door walked the most beautiful Swedish young woman that I'd ever seen in my life. She'd come to fly for Scandinavian Airlines. She'd been in a beauty contest and won in Sweden. Boy, I preached hard that night. And I preached to one person. And when I gave the altar call, she came down the aisle. And I felt led to pray with her. Amen. Thank God. She gave her heart to the Lord. And I, I stayed in that revival. I never had a revival that long. It lasted three months. The Holy Spirit had never moved on me to stay any place that long. Amen. Now, it was not advisable. But you see, I traveled around. I didn't have a chance to date. At the end of three months, I said, honey, forget Scandinavian Airlines and come fly with me. Amen. And we were married. It was rough. We'd go to churches. And by that way, churches were very conservative. way women dress. They couldn't wear makeup. And it was rough on this beautiful young lady. We decided we'd go to Kansas City. My dad pastored a great church and be his associate, leave the evangelistic field where God was blessing. But I need to give time to give her time to adjust. One day, I came down the stairs to go to work. 
I worked three jobs. In the morning, I trimmed trees. In the afternoon, I worked at an oil store. And at night, I did the ministry of the church. This is quite a step down from preaching at the greatest churches in America. But I knew this is what God wanted. When I came down the steps, she was at the door, and she had a suitcase in her hand. And she started weeping and saying, Tommy, I'm leaving you. I'm a hindrance to you. I'm not going to be a good pastor's wife. But I said, no, you're a wonderful pastor's wife. We're going to get through this. You're adjusting wonderful. No, I can't do it. I love you with all my heart. And I drove her to the airport with tears in my eyes, put her on the plane to fly to San Francisco where she had relatives. When I watched that plane take off, my heart broke. Every dream would now end. All day, I wept and sobbed, and nighttime came, and I was preparing to go to sleep when the phone rang. And it was my wife. She said under her sweetie's I said, Tommy, I made a terrible mistake. Can I come home? Of course, I said. I stood at the airport full of anticipation. She got off. We walked to the car, and before we started the car, we joined our hands and said, let's pray. And here's how we pray. God, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for sickness and health, we're going to make this thing last. We're not going to quit. And I remember that night as I looked on the platform and mascara pouring out her face. She walked over to me with these thousands of people cheering and hugged me and whispered in my ear, I'm so glad we didn't quit. If we would have quit, there would not have been a Phoenix First Assembly Dream Center in Phoenix, Arizona. There wouldn't have been a Luke to pastor it. If we would have quit, there wouldn't have been a Matthew and the Los Angeles Dream Center. You say, Pastor, I'm so glad you didn't quit. Then don't you quit. Don't you quit on your husband. Don't you quit on your wife. Don't you quit on your children. Don't you quit on your parents. Just don't quit. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.